<laughs> so the reason I asked you to come here, um, I've been super intrigued by your improv and comedy journey. Oh, I okay. don't know if I actually let that cat out of the bag. When I, I think was, you mentioned that, yeah. But I and forgot. Nathan and I like were kind of chit chatting about it, and we were very mm-hmm. interested. We need to come out to one of your improv. You absolutely should check yeah. it out. It's um, it's a scene that's getting bigger in the city, which is great. Um. Yeah, I mean, my whole history with improv has been sort of weird. I've been I spent so many years just sort of like on the outside looking in on it that I never really got into it. It's best to get into it at a young age, and so when you see all these high schools locally and in, and also just nationwide and throughout North America that really have strong improv groups, um, and these kids are getting in there as, as early as like junior high or even younger, um, there's a tremendous amount of skills that come out of that, and those are skills I wish that I had coming out of high school like I didn't I didn't get into improv until I was well like 27 almost 28 once when I first moved to Toronto like when I first started moving working here professionally there was a group called uh, General Fools um, I know that name yeah you and you know a lot of the people that came out of there Amy Matizio came out of that group uh, or not well Amy Matizio but also uh, the girl from uh, Orphan Black um, I'm gonna kill myself for forgetting her name uh <laughs> But she, but she came out of that group, and she was she's one of the younger members, um, and they were the only thing in town. And I just and I and I knew of them, but I was always so busy and I worked weird hours that I could never make it to any of their shows. And I think that's something that I mean, had it been more on my radar and had I been more proactive when I was in my early twenties instead of being just the drunk that I was, um, I would have gotten involved with that and done it at an earlier age. But I had I had to wait until I moved to Toronto. And a buddy of mine said, you know, if you're interested in acting and stuff, you should really try out Second City. They do classes and stuff, improv and stuff. I'm like, well, that sounds like a great idea. So I did that for about, you know, six to nine months. And then my work schedule sort of didn't allow me to do it anymore because I was I was never in one place long enough to stick with a class. So I did the, I did it on and off for several years. And then I just dropped it. Um, and then when I moved back here, there was nothing. I think I think uh, Globe Theater offered a class. And it was like oh, 300 bucks or something like that. We and put, it was just the basics. Yeah, we put our son through a few through years that? of the Globe. Yeah, and I mean, the younger you can get him into it, the better. Like, I want my son to do it just so it can help him come out of his shell a little bit more. Because he's, I mean, he's hilarious when he's comfortable. And he's only comfortable around, like, his parents. Yeah. And, you know, you get, more, you get a third person in the room and he suddenly becomes, like, just a shadow on the wall. Um but then in recent years, it's just really exploded. And then and that's part in, partly due to this group, um, Hitchhiker's Improv, which was started by some, uh, well, they all, they, they, all these are all kids that did theater sports in high school and competed nationally. Um, and they've formed really strong bonds amongst each other, but also kids with kids from other high schools um, and into university. And then kids throughout North America, because they would have competed in things like theater sports and uh, improv games the Canadian improv games. And these are things that I never had any interaction with. And so I kind of got to know them a little bit and signed up and I took some of their classes and then auditioned for the main stage, if you want to call it that. And I was part of the main group last season, which was a lot of fun, but it was one of those things where um, it was weird because here I am, you know, in my early forties now 45 and I'm hanging out with kids that are like, that could be my kids. They, you know, they're young enough to be my children and uh, they know so much improv. They know the games. They know the terms. They're so quick. They're so sharp. Um, and I 
like I can't remember the name of a single improv warm-up game to save my life, and I've been doing this since 2001. They're and stretching and, for improv? Pardon me? Like the equivalent of stretching it's, for it's, an athlete. They're, but they're, but they're mental warm-ups. They're mental warm-ups. Just to warm-ups. get you sharp? Just to get you thinking. Yeah, wow. Exactly. Because, I mean, it, they are, it, I mean, improv is... That skill is a muscle. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and you can't just like start doing it. You kind of got to, you have to be thinking quickly, you know, yeah. uh, making, you know, and, and not, and they're all exercises to keep you from spinning your wheels creatively. Yeah. You need to keep talking, you need to keep making choices, you need to keep prom- uh, progressing the story or the narrative and trying to be interesting and at the same time listen to each other. And so you got to do warm up exercises to get that, uh, to make that happen. But the point is, like, these kids, they've been doing it for maybe, less than 10 years or maybe 10 years since they were like, you know, 13, 14. And I've kind of been doing this longer, but more spread out over time. Yeah. And they did it in this very tight, concentrated period of time. So they, I look at them as the experts, you know, and I'm almost embarrassed to say, well, I've been doing this since like roughly the Twin Towers fell. (laughs) And uh, I'm still leaning to you to tell me what to do because I can't remember the name of a single freaking game. Um, But nonetheless, it's been fun. And it's an excuse to um, just do silly shows in front of people. Uh, we did a lot of shows last year. The audiences were good at the beginning, and then it sort of started fading out. But I think we did too many shows. Okay. And now this next season of improv of, of Hitchhiker's Improv is going to be more concentrated. They're going to do one main show a month at the Artesian, and then affiliated with that, but not necessarily under the improv the Hitchhiker's umbrella, is uh, Be Rude Sketch Comedy, which happens at Brood Awakening on Dudney Avenue. And that's once a month. Okay. So those will be those two shows. And I'm hoping to be involved in both. It looks like I'll be back with Hitchhikers again this fall. Just not sure what the, the schedule is going to be. But when I know, I'll certainly keep you in the loop and you guys should come out to the shows. For sure. Because I just... It's a stupid, found, f- stupid amount of fun. Yeah. And I remember you kind of mentioned it on your way out um, last, last time. time you were here. Yeah. Because I still Burying have... Burying the lead. Hmm? Burying the lead, that's called. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, because somewhere on my radar, I would like to do a stand-up routine at some point in my life. Like, oh yeah, the, imp- uh, the stand-up. Um, get over the nerves, just. And yeah, and that's why I did it. I didn't do it because like I want to move into a career of stand-up. Like I don't think I have enough material. But it was one of those things where, even up to about maybe a year ago. If you ask me if I would ever do stand-up, I'm like, no. Like, that's bottom of the list. There are so many things I would do before I did stand-up. And then it just, I watched how uh, a lot of these kids in my, uh, I call them kids, but young adults in my um, improv group, how they would do it. And a lot of them had done it many times. And they and they could very easily come up with, you know, five, ten minutes of material. And it's hit and miss, but I mean, they... they they had they got up the nerve to do it right and to keep trying it and keep and try to make it better and i'm like well the hell's my problem do you know what i mean like it wasn't a sort of thing like if they can do it why can't i it wasn't like that's a bit insulting but it's like well of course i could do it if i wanted to so why not try it and get over that hump because and the reason why i said i would never do it was mostly because it was so terrifying right concept like i gotta like i could go up and do somebody else's routine or I can do a silly character in an improv scene or a sketch that somebody else wrote, no problem. You know, ball go balls to the wall and just like and you know be as big as I need to be. But I mean to go up there and like try to be funny on purpose on, with stuff that just that I wrote myself it just sounded terrifying. But I did it, and it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. It was still really hard, 
Um, I don't say it's not hard because then it's not worth doing. It was definitely hard enough that I had to practice it like ad nauseum. And then I had to do an open mic night at the Cure downtown, which is every Monday night at the Cure. They they do open mic. And it's all kinds of open mic. You can sing, you can juggle, you can do whatever you want. You just got to buy a drink and you're on the list. Um, So I tried out my material. It was like a dead crowd. And it was funny, at the very last minute, I went up on stage and I still didn't know how I was going to... Like I had, I had practiced it so many times and I did it with sort of like the energy that I'm speaking now. And then for some reason at the last minute when I got up on stage, like literally as I was grabbing the mic, my brain says, do it like Stephen Wright. Like don't do a Stephen Wright impression, but do it that sort of like low energy kind of, kind of like I'm in my own little world. And I did that and I think it was a, to my detriment. Like I sat back down and everyone's like, because I sat down with other people from my improv group that were there doing open mic as well. And they were like, that was good. <laughs> But maybe more energy next time. And I was like, fuck, I totally should have just done it my normal level. I just saw a Stephen Wright clip yesterday. So that's oh so God. weird. Yeah. So, oh, it was national. T- was it yesterday or the day before that was like tell a joke on Twitter day? Fuck there was some know. national yeah. tell a joke day. It was in okay. the last few days. And someone posted one of his yeah, routines. Wright, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, I remember him. Like, because it's been a while, right? So it's, well, I saw him at the center of the art or Connexus Center. Yeah. Like maybe about... Uh, it was just when my wife and I were dating. No, 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 we just moved back from Toronto, so we were already married. Yeah, but it was less than 10 years ago. Hmm. It's been like eight or nine years ago, and he was great. He looked like an acidic Jew, though. Like, he had this full beard, long hair, and a, <laughs> and a black hat. And, uh, you know, for all I know, he might be acidic. I don't know. But but he was unrecognizable. But he sounded exactly the same. Yeah. He was just, he was gold. So did that drive you away from doing more? I saw... No, it didn't drive I saw me- you had posted that you felt bad that one of your things was up pre-existing um, joke. Oh, right, right, right. I had one sort of dad joke in there um, that uh, like I, I thought it was pretty original, but it was one of those things that was kind of obvious in a way, and I'm sure somebody else had come up with it, so I Googled it, and there were variations of it, but yeah. it, not that I could actually attribute to a singular, like a particular writer okay. or, or comic. It wasn't like, you know... You know, Bill Burr said it, or somebody else. You know, see, but that's the way I read your comment. No, no, no. Is I, that I, you inadvertently did something, and like Amy Schumer said it a month right. before. And it, right, and if that had been the case, I would have dropped it completely. Okay, but what I found, but it was just sort of like, it was something you could see in some memes and some like joke cards and stuff like that, and it was really hacky, and I knew it was hacky, and and by by, by hacky is like you know unimaginative and sort of lame. Like it's it's it was it was of the the sort of tired old, you know, married middle-aged guy doesn't get enough sex from his wife kind of sentiment. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like that's hacky. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. You know, yeah, you're some, yeah, sad white guy doesn't get laid as much as he wanted to, you know, <laughs> like that's been done. And so the joke fell in that sort of realm, but I liked the joke because it just, it was, it was short Yeah. and I thought it was kind of funny and it was sort of applicable. It sort of fit in, in all the other things that I was saying and I didn't want to like carve material, uh, material out. So I just, in the end I thought, well, I can't attribute this joke, at least in my phrasing to anyone. There's similar versions online, but it's not, you know, it doesn't seem to belong to anyone in particular. It's just kind of out there. So I decided to play, to take the chance and, and, and do it anyway, but everything else was my own. Um, okay. And the majority of it really, because like my wife encouraged me to do it too, because I mean, she loses her mind when I like retell stories about parenting 
you know, just in like, you know, like shitty dad moments and you mm-hmm. know, moments where I almost broke my son. And, and it's just the way I retell that is I do it in such a self-deprecating way that it makes her laugh. And so she thinks like, that's your best material is just talk about being a dad and, 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 and screwing that up, or at least in your mind, perceiving, perceiving yourself to have screwed it up. So that was pretty much 75% of my five minutes. The first 25% was just like some introductory jokes, like, you know, Oh, I'm old, blah, 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 kind of shit. And I think, I feel like you kind of got to get that shit out of the way. Yeah. And then move on to other stuff. And I've got another bit that I'm sort of writing now that I think I would like to try. And it, and it would be a good tight five minutes. Um, how, long have, did the, how long did the five minutes feel like? Oh, it felt like 20. Okay. Like it feels like you're up there forever. Yeah. And, uh, and it, and. Yeah, to describe what it feels like, it, it, you're nervous, and then you're sort of calm, and then suddenly you just feel yourself like it's it's a bit out of out of body. Like somehow you're moving onto the stage and towards the mic, because you know in, intellectually, I have to now go to this point. Yeah, like I can't I can't just hide in the back here. Like I have to do it. So you're moving, but at the same time, your, your brain's thinking, yeah, but you got to say the words, like. Yeah. And you got to look at the people and then all those people are looking at you and, and, uh, like it wasn't a huge crowd, like maybe, you know, 30, well, 40, 50 people. Um, that's substantial. I think so. To like, me it is. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, I, I, I heard the laughs. I could hear the laughs. I couldn't see the faces really well, which was good. Um, I think it would almost be better where it's like the light in your eyes. And, and you that's what it is. You get the light in your eyes. You feel kind of like, you know, there's a cop shining a flashlight in your eyes. You know, how many, how much have you had to drink tonight, sir? <laughs> Um, there's a bit of that feeling and then you just go and like, hopefully you've remembered it well enough that you can do it. But what I noticed was like, there's, there's getting to know it really well that you can do it off book. Like, like you've committed the words to memory and, and the mannerisms and the timing and like when you pause and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think you even have to go beyond that. You have to get to the point where, you can still, uh, you can still get it out, even if there's like, how do I put it? If something uh, sidetracks you, like be it say a heckler, I didn't get a heckler, but say a heckler happened, or say you you accidentally tell part of it out of order, and then you lose your place, lose and that track, happened, yeah. you lose track, and that happened to me twice in it. I started telling a joke. And or not a joke, but I started telling him part of the story that needed a particular setup. And I think a professional or someone with experience would just keep going and not worry about it because it breaks the flow and it breaks the momentum if you if you mess around. But I grinded the gears and I jumped back and re- reframed it and I did it two times and I could feel a bit of weirdness. So I so I, what I learned from that is that I wouldn't do that again. I would just keep trucking along and if I if I remembered everything um, and told it the way I wanted it told. Great. If I didn't, and I just did the best I could, no one's going to be the wiser anyway. It doesn't really matter. So you have to be sort of um, confident enough to know the words, but then also confident enough to know that, I mean, the story should still be funny enough that even if you forget half a sentence or a sentence set up, it's not the end of the world. Because I think it's worse to then go back and try to reframe it, you know, starting over. Like It wasn't as awkward as starting over, but, I, but it, it felt... Yeah, it was an odd rhythm, and I think people could detect that. Um, but that said, I, I'm glad I did it. 
Um, and I definitely want to do it again, but it's not, it's certainly, I got, I follow some people on Instagram and Twitter, uh, that I met through that. And clearly these are people that really want to make a go of this and have it turn into something. And, and I, 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 I couldn't be more supportive of that, but I, that's not necessarily what I want to do. I just like, it's, it's nice to know that, you know, once in a while I could do five minutes of stand up here or there, um, keeps life interesting. Yeah. How much did you learn? Because you can put it through your head as much as you want. But when you're initially up there, like, did you change anything from just reading the room? Kind of like from reaction? Um, or did you just want to do your first time through? Well, it was my, because it was my first time. That that would come with experience, I think. Um, and I think there's lots of people you could have on, on this that uh, have more experience doing it numerous times in different audiences and in different rooms and different vibes. And also having more and more material. I had my one five minute set and I just did that. Um, the one time and it was more important for me to just be able to get through it top to bottom without choking. You yeah. Know? And just to, just to check that box and say that I did do it. Um, I think you'd get like, uh, it would be interesting to know how I feel about that. Having done it several more times, either the same routine or just adding on or, or writing all new stuff entirely. Yeah. And that's one thing, like, I do listen to a ton of Rogan. Right. And he talks about he knows who's going to make it because he says, because he's at the comedy store. When he watches, when he watches new And he sees the same people out there daily, changing it, grinding, reading the room, making notes. He said he records himself on a lot of his stuff. And then if people laugh, he'll even take note of what face he was making. When he was delivering, yeah, because like, you never know. Because he's that meticulous about it all. But he says that's what you need to succeed. And um, for someone like him, he's on Netflix now. But on his podcast, he talks a lot about like he's like, come talk to me after, like, go back in time and find me at one year in, two years in, right. about how I felt after I just bombed, and just how you have to keep on and keep that work. This didn't. Don't get your feelings hurt change this exactly work, go in this direction and and i think it's whenever he has his comedian friends on just listening to them it gets me more intrigued in it so it probably will happen someday you think you do it uh it's inevitable it's on my list go to it. i mean like you don't have to even think about it too much like with the open mic um down to at least the one they have at the cure downtown it's a uh, it's really rough. Do you know what I mean? Like people are going up and just trying something new that they may have just thought of that day. You know what I mean? Um, like there's a, a few guys that that do that do stand up and improv a lot, and they do uh, fringe festival, and they do stuff that is more you know tightly scripted and rehearsed and planned and then performed. They just kind of go up there and just they're winging it. Like you know, mm-hmm. something comes to them and they they'll they'll give it a try. Like it's workshopping new material. It's working yeah. out new material. So you don't really have to have um a really strong set to yeah. go do an open mic. Like if you're trying to just sort of like um check that box of having gone up in front of people and spoken into a microphone and tried to be funny, even if you're not successful or even if it was like, you know, you didn't have that much material, 
do it anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it's easy because then you can just get that out of the way and then you can focus more on like what you want your voice to be or what stories you want to tell or whatever, as opposed to like, you know, thinking about it for a really long time and then spending six months working on five minutes of material and then going up into an open mic and doing that five minutes. Like that six months that you spent laboring on this could have been wasted. Do you know what I mean? Because you're overthinking it yeah. too much and for too long when, and then you go up on, in front of these people and it's, it could be like a large crowd it could be a small crowd you don't know you could be the first one up before anyone gets there um, you don't know what the feedback's going to be and you're not going to get an honest sort of response so why not go up there with something half baked it's a freaking open mic you know mm-hmm. like people aren't paying much to see this no one's buying tickets they're just buying drinks you know and half the time it's the people going on stage that are buying the drinks because that's the price of admission right hmm. you have to buy a drink before you go up there so just do whatever you want just to and then start letting it build and that's it's kind of freeing that way, like because I would have approached it the way I just said to not to, you know, uh, spend a lot of time making up, coming up with a routine and then going up there and doing five minutes in an open mic when really you should just go up there and wing it. And that's I've, it's funny whenever I lose a notebook, I buy a new one. Yeah. So I cleaned today and I found like eight notebooks and some of them are podcast ideas that. I've forgotten about that I should revisit. Um, I've been meaning to do a YouTube project. um, And it was really good to sit with Nathan last night. Mm -hmm. It's so weird that even in a 20-year divide of us not really talking, I'm more comfortable bouncing ideas off him. And he gets where I'm at. And he'll be like, oh, that's cool. Or what? Like. I can under he'll yeah. give me that honest reaction about or and it's it's good to have a person like that that you can bounce it off of you know because yeah we were hanging out last night and I was like I want to do this and he's like that's that's pretty good and I'm like oh if he if I get that reaction from him I need to put the effort into it I need to learn how to now record edit oh yeah um, I can relate to that I mean twenty five years of like you know. Here's an idea for a TV show. Here's an idea for a short film. Here's an idea for a movie. Here's an idea for a podcast. Here's an idea for a stand-up routine. Just do it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I mean, that's a trite thing to say, but it, it, it's the truth. Like you say with Joe Rogan, the people who are out there constantly trying and failing and then refining, and you know, those are the ones that are eventually going to get there and make something out of it rather than someone who spends, you know, 10 years trying to like, overthink an idea and then try it and then it didn't work and then they yeah. give up only to maybe try again another 10 years later like that's me yeah. so that's why you know fear of failure is big yeah. in a lot of people oh my god it's it's probably fear of failure and then also fear of success too you know yeah but the stakes are not high in Regina that's what's interesting yeah there's there's a lot of venues where but you, you can, can psych yourself out you can psych yourself out. Still, even for like a small crowd, you could probably work yourself into a tizzy. But that's a good litmus test. Litmus test too, I think. Like if you're too afraid to go in front of, you know, fifteen drunks in a Regina bar, like what makes you think you're going to be able to do five hundred? A, yeah. a significant, you know, audience like those people that try to. I'm not. I'm not going to hold out for a an actually substantial crowd. It's like, well, if you don't have the balls to do it in front of, I would rather know, not your significant <laughs> other. You know, I would rather it be like five to 20 yeah to like incremental steps and but also just it's the number of times you do it right like the more you do it the more comfortable you're going to get and the more comfortable you get the more your natural voice is going to come out and your stories are going to come out now that said 
there's a lot of sloppiness too I notice at the open mic like there's some people that f- see themselves as being established in Regina as comics which is a ridiculous notion. Is that even a sentence? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> is that even a real or thing? A thing? Yeah. Well, it's like, like they get comfortable in the scene that exists here yeah. to the level that it exists and they they now rest comfortably in that and you can see that they're comfortable. They they've done it enough times that they're confident in front of a crowd but undisciplined enough to not keep trying to come up with new material they're just sort of rehashing the same thing only they're just doing it more confidently now uh, I don't know if that makes any sense at all no absolutely but, but that's the vibe I got from some comics when I saw this open mic and, and, and subsequent open mics that I saw it's like okay there's some people that are really trying new stuff and you can tell the people that are really putting themselves out there and then there are other people that look like, you know, this is just another busking opportunity. Yeah. And then other people where it's like, you know, I've done this enough times and I have enough people laugh at my jokes that now I don't really care what I say when I go up, that mm-hmm. it's unfocused and undisciplined and it's just me being the personality that I think I've become. And it's like you need to, you still need to grow. You still need to like keep trying to have a, you know, have material. Right. And not just go up there and try to do crowd work. When the crowd is like 12 of your buddies, you know? Yeah. And it's so funny how, as you're talking about kind of how it works and some of the experiences, the amount that actually is the same when I did my, when I trained to be a wrestler, like when I, I purposely asked you how long it felt, because when you first start training to wrestle there, the first thing you do is like, here, go wrestle for five minutes and you're initially insulted. You're like, well, what can I do in five minutes? And at three minutes, you're like, when's this shit over? Yeah, I've run out of, I've run out of moves. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's yeah. like, take the time, craft the story, mm-hmm. kind of slow down, do what you're doing, right? And it's... Yeah, and find, and just, yeah, I mean, like, I can only compare it. Well, I guess with wrestling, it would be find out what it is that you do and then just do it really well for that five minutes. And again, that sounds really stupid, but that's the same thing with, with the stand-up that I noticed. I mean, granted, I'm, 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 I'm pulling this all from like a one shot experience. But what I found was like narrowing it down to five or six minutes of material was hard because hmm. I did have a bunch of stories and I practiced it out a lot of times and it kept rolling into like nine and a half, ten minutes. One time it was 12 minutes. I'm like, what did I do differently? It's the exact same amount of words. And so I actually had to lift an entire story out to take it to five minutes. And... um it still felt like an eternity, you know? Yeah. Even though it was, it was really just one story, you know, buttressed or, or, or you know, bookended by a couple of jokes. Um, so maybe that's a good thing because it shows you, I mean, if, you, if you've got stories that you can tell, it's not hard to come up with the material. Now expanding that into, say, an hour. Yeah. That's a different thing. That would feel like an eternity. That takes, that's a, yeah, that's a I, journey right there. And I think it's just that delivering to a crowd, the mm-hmm. nerves, um, trying to remember what you want to do and all that stuff. Because it's funny because my friends film me wrestling and I felt like I was out there for way too long. Mm-hmm. And then when I watch the YouTube video, it's like three and a half minutes. Yeah. Because mine was like a run in, do this, this. And so it's weird how time warps. Yeah. And my neighbor, um, or the guy two doors down from me, um, he came to the show and he recorded it on his phone. He didn't tell me right away, and he came by the house um, maybe like two months later or a month and a half later, and um, he's South African. He's like, Trevor, I recorded your your set. I was wondering (laughs) if you wanted a copy of it. 
So I, uh, I'm like, of course. So he like, you know, copied it over to my phone, and I, and it took me. I had it sitting on my phone for about a month before I listened to it. I finally turned it onto the car in the car when I was driving, and I listened to it. And it wasn't like it was quick. It was a quick five. I wonder if I even made five minutes. Hmm. Like it might have been four and a half. You know. Do you think adrenaline kicked in and you were started kind of clipping? You a get a faster? lot of that. You get the yeah. You, you sort of get that sort of. Um, you know how the world feels when you got a head rush, you know, mm-hmm. the blood's rushing to your head. That's what it feels like. Wow. And then you get a little bit of dry mouth. And um, like, I'm glad I wasn't drunk. Sometimes you feel you need to like a little liquid courage to get out there and, and do it. And I don't think I would have been. That would have been good. I think I would have either started giggling or uh, lost my train of thought or started rambling. And then it would have just been death. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I was still lucid enough that I could, you know, I could do the words. I could do the material that I'd practiced. Um, but anyway, yeah. So who knows? Down the road, I like to do it. But I'm sort of checking off as I, as I circle the drain of life. Yep. Just joking. I, I'm checking off the things that I, I would like to do and, and, just, and just get them done finally because I've been talking myself up for 25 years and have done and produced very little. So, And that's where I'm at. I have that. Creatively and, speaking. Yeah. I've produced a lot. but Yes. Yeah. Um, and there's time constraints now being working family yeah. man, yep. dad, like once kids get to a certain age, how many activities. Um, I have one friend, his kid's in like every sport and activity. Oh my God, yeah. And so it sucks, but he's, when I talk to him at work, all he's doing is grumbling like, where's my time? Yeah. And now he feels like, well, when I'm 53, the boy moves out. Yeah. I can, and it's like, I'll just start compiling some material. And then when I retire, I'll hit the scene. <laughs> and then, then you're too tired to do it. No, I think back to like when I was 25 and how I thought I was so busy and had no time. Oh my God. I had nothing but time, you know? Yeah. I know not everyone's the biggest fan of him, um, but I listened to a, a ton of Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. And one of his, I knew he was going to come up. It's, he came up in conversation with my brother a few weeks ago too. Yeah. yeah. It I know some he's not like He's I, not everyone's cup of tea. Right. But I he's helped me kind of buckle down. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for him. And um he has all of his uh U of T lectures up and in one he has all the kids there and he goes, How many hours do you waste in a week? He doesn't, and he says, I don't define what wasting is. I let the kids decide what their definition of wasting based on, is. Based on their subjective right. interpretation. So how many hours a week are you wasting? Mm-hmm. And some say like 30 to 50, like after school, I just play video games. But that's them saying that video games is a waste of he, time. Yeah, He's asking you to decide what your values are right. by, by defining And then waste. he goes, yeah. what's your time worth? Let's say $50 an hour and shoot high. He goes... And he does the math quick and he's like, that's many extra dollars a week if you put it into something that could be something. And he goes, you don't know that could be an extra $100,000 a year if you use your time wisely Mm -hmm. and just don't waste it. And so when I first started doing this, I like I said, I had things rolling. I got it up. I was getting hundreds of listens a month and then it fell apart in the winter, right? I lost motivation. So putting the work in does matter right oh 100 and that's then i guess to malcolm gladwell's ten thousand hours thing you know like the more time you put into something the better you get at it mm-hmm. um you can't just decide i want to be good at this and if i'm not good at it the first time i try it i'm gonna quit um that's not too helpful or productive and that i'm dealing that with that 
with my son. He's very much like that. He'll talk, a, you know, a big game about all these things he wants to try to do. And I try to, as a supportive, encouraging father, I say yes to everything. But then he doesn't hit it out of the park the first try and he doesn't want to do it anymore. And it's like, it's so hard to get him to try again. It's like, well, if this means something to you, if it's important, you're going to keep trying. Um, and failure almost matters more than success. If you succeed at everything in life, are you really trying outside your boundaries and like well, challenging clearly, yourself? Yeah, clearly you, you must be playing it safe to, right. to some degree because you have to, you have to fail, you know. And so, and that's one thing I let Xander kind of back out of a couple of martial arts because it got a little tough for him or sure. he got gassed early and now he's only 11 and I know he's self-conscious about his size already. I'm like, what 11-year-old should care? Like he's too big, too little? What is he's he? Chu- he thinks he's chunky. Oh, okay. And um, I don't think he realizes that he's already five foot four and like he's going to be a big guy. Right. And his, his bone structure looks bigger than mine well you're a tall guy too like, what i'm tall but i'm lanky right yeah but yeah. or at least i'm finally back to lanky <laughs> um but yeah he's from a distance he's proportionate so he's taller than his mom already he's 130 pounds like he's a big solid kid but he's letting that weigh him down yeah and that's um it's hard to get him over that hump because and as a parent you find like you think oh well if i just say the right thing and be encouraging that'll fix it and he'll they'll go off and try again but it's never that simple like they still got to get over their own internal hurdles and at some point you have to back off and, and just let them deal with that on their own and hope that they do it um like when i think back like is it, it's it's silly to, to take it on myself as a father that somehow it's my responsibility to get him over these humps yeah um because i look back on maybe challenges that i had when i was a kid and that, that I didn't surpass or or figure out, I don't I don't hold my father accountable for those things. I yeah, hold, I completely hold myself accountable for them. So he's kind of in the same boat. You know what I mean? It's like as long I'm there to support him and help him with whatever he needs if he comes to me for help. But it's not up to me to inject the courage yeah. into him. He's got to come up with it on his own. If I, as long you know, I, all I can do is just get out of his way and. Yeah, give him a ride to wherever he needs to go. But I'm waiting for him to kind of because 11 is when I zoned in on what was kind of like important to me that I would work hard enough for mm-hmm. in my life, and that was basketball at the time. Like 11 till right. I got badly hurt at 23, I mm-hmm. think it was. But I had that thing that I pushed myself, and I'm waiting for him to to gravitate to that one thing that it's worth the effort to. Him. Right. So I'm waiting so that I can. Give that right yeah. amount of encouragement, yeah, I exactly. guess. Yeah, exactly. You just kind of, yeah, you're waiting for them to to meet you there, you know. But the world also has a billion more options now for a kid, right? It's like, overwhelming. Like, small town, it's like, you can do the sports, you can move into the arts, you can, like, there wasn't... It's shocking. Yeah, like, I, I, like, when I was, well, I guess we're the same age, so when I was 11, your options were a sport or maybe an art or music. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And uh, I went more into art. I just, I didn't have any interest in team sports or athletics and stuff like that. Um, my son's much the same way. He likes soccer, but that's about it. And we're getting into him into some Krav Maga because we think he might be getting picked on a little bit at school and he wants to have some, at least some physical confidence 
to address that. I think um, Nathan got pretty high up in that martial arts. Krav Maga? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool because like, it's not like a disciplined martial I shouldn't say not disciplined, but it's not like a kung fu or a karate or a taekwondo. It's the dirtiest which is, one. Which is incredibly impractical. Right. Like they're good for, you know, finesse and control and discipline and that sort of stuff. But it's, but they're not practical in terms of right. defending yourself, I don't think. Um, whereas Krav Maga is dirty street fighting. Go for you the know, eyes. Defined by the Israeli army. It's like, okay, yeah. well, you know, if this bully's coming at you and you're deciding that that bully needs to go down, then that bully's going to go down. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that. It's not about learning, you know, the ways of, of whatever. Um, I'd be more than happy for him to learn a martial, like a traditional martial art, but... And that was he, he wants he wants he just wants the confidence of yeah being able to defend yourself and not be afraid is huge. It's massive, and uh, I would have liked to have had more of those skills growing up. I mean, uh, I, I managed to just use humor to sort of av- to you know avoid fighting and stuff like that for the most part. But still, it would have been nice to be able to like make people respect your space a little bit. Yeah, I think I used charisma to get me out of every single yeah. situation charm and charm and charm and humor that's the yeah. only thing i ever used in the past um where was i going with this but um yeah like my son he's he just turned 10 and he's got a whole plethora of interests which is good not a lot of them are sports which is also great because i don't have to worry about hockey and football and injuries and and I have no interest in sports anyway. So if he's generally not interested in sports, that's okay with me. Um, he's learning piano, and he's 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 really adept at that. He's got a natural ability, oh, um, nice. and he's sticking with that more than you know the guitar that we bought for him. That's just collecting dust. Um, he's become hardcore Spider-Man fan, and Stanley and Marvel and all this kind of stuff. That uh, I remember he's constantly drawing. He's he's learning everything he can about Spider-Man and Stanley. To the point where I think it would be kind of fun to make a little mini documentary about him, sort of learning about Stanley and maybe wanting to. It's too bad Stanley wasn't is no longer with us because it would be yeah. great to like have it lead up to meeting Stanley or something. But uh, and he was in Calgary three years ago. I know, I know. You miss these marks, but uh, there's that, and uh, he's interested in engineering and animals and uh, um, making little films and. Uh, uh, I, I'm so busy that it's hard for me to like help nurture him in these things mm-hmm. um, because I mean we like I said last time we were here we talked about our YouTube channel and apparently he's I just found out the other day he shot a ton of stuff on his iPad his iPad's full it won't back up anymore because he <laughs> shot all these little the cloud these little full. videos <laughs> and they could be they could be good they could not be good but whatever the point is he's been he's making little movies and he's putting forth the effort so I've got to like make the time to like pull this stuff off and compile it and curate it a little bit and then get it up to our our YouTube channel. So, but what is the one singular thing that's going to consume him? I don't know. There's all these potential things right now and it's fascinating to watch because they are all kind of gelling a little bit. So you wonder yeah. which one's going to gel more permanently. And Cassander um, has ideas and he halts on some of them because you need to be 13. He's like, gotcha. Like for YouTube channel, for him to actually talk or appear, to do his you own, need yeah. to be 13. And Is that true with YouTube? Okay. I believe. Oh, I don't know. I I should have probably known that, but I don't know. I th- think for a majority of social media stuff, you have to be 13. Okay. Um, well, in, in our YouTube, he's always with me. So No, then... So then it's kind of like my YouTube channel, you know, with appearances from my son. 
Yeah, no. And he wants one where, because we have, it's OBS and it's like a fully functioning studio on the computer upstairs, right? Mm -hmm. And so he can have this playing, add this music, record himself playing with the camera of him in the corner giving his commentary. He knows how to do it all already because I've kind of, I keep dipping my toe in the streaming pool, but I don't go all in on it. Right. Um, But I have the equipment now and I have the mics, I have all the stuff. And he keeps mentioning, he's like, man, I wish I was 13 so I could do this. And so we're this like 14 months away now. So I don't know how to keep the juices flowing if if YouTube's the way he wants to go or... How do you keep them from boiling over and just keep it, yeah, keep it a nice simmer until it's time to go? Or do we go in and change his information on, yeah. Uh, yeah. like, because I don't want it to waste because I know he has ideas and he and I know he's complaining in enough that he's like, if I was 13, I could do this. And 13 seems to be this, like, this magic number. That's like when Oz opens on the internet gotcha. for you. So I'm curious to see what will happen when that when it's finally like happy birthday like what did you want to do and if it's still in there and if it's still kind of a passion and then also yeah like like what what aspects of his social life or school life are going to maybe start to detract because once they start once you turn 13 your interests new interests come up we'll put it that way (laughs) and and they render past interests that you had seem it makes them seem kind of childish Mm-hmm. And so while they're old enough to finally do the things they were looking forward to doing, once they're at that age, do they remain interested in those things um, and are, and not want to just become, you know, your typical teenage boy? Yeah. You know, no, I'm just going to go hang out with my friends. You know? I still have to decide and it's going to be a joint decision. But like what age do we instill a job on them? Yeah, that's the thing. And even something simple. Well, my son's pretty interesting right now and we'll see how long this stays possible. But he loves animals and I think he's leaning to like wanting to be a veterinarian one day of, of some sort. Um, he really wants to work in a veterinarian's office as a job. You know what I mean? And I'm tempted and he's, he actually brought it up a few weeks ago. Like dad, we should find out when I can, when I can do that. Like when can I help clean up and do these sorts of things? And I'm like, I mean, I know at 10 years old, they're not going to allow him no. to go in there and work, but it'd be good to find out like what, what age would they welcome him in to just sort of... I'm not sure you know. what stuff like that is. I know the food industry's 14 now. Is it? They dumped it down because I think it was you, Dairy you, Queen couldn't find people, so they had to bring it down. Oh, no way. Get special permission for that. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, I mean, my, my son wants to do it, so it would be interesting to find out. And how, And that's another case, like... Will that fire stick around where he can maybe get a job helping out the Humane Society exactly. or something? Volunteering right? even, you know. So, like, like, do you have to be a certain age to even volunteer? That's what I want to know. You know, I guess yeah. I'll find that out. I'd be curious. I think, yeah. It's weird. Restaurant industry has a specific, because I think it's normally 15 and they brought it down to 14 or 13 for like menial restaurant. Probably gig. like busing and stuff like that. Yeah, right? like yeah. Cause you busing, dish pit. Gotcha pouring soft serve right like just uh-huh, uh-huh. but i don't know what it would Filling i don't know what it is for like containers i don't think i pump gas till 16 17 like i was six yeah i was 17 when i started pumping gas i was 16 when i was bagging groceries so yeah. that's another conversation is what age do you introduce work and you're earning money now so this is your money to do what you want with yeah 
It'll be interesting. But he's also been hoarding every check that every relative's <laughs> ever given him. So he probably has more savings than I do. We, For some reason, his mother and I have stopped giving him an allowance. And it wasn't a, like a conscious decision. We just sort of like got lazy. And it's been a couple of years. And he keeps coming, Dad, you owe me 400 bucks. Dad, you owe me like 500 <laughs> bucks. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, you were giving me this much. And it's been this many months. So that equals. And he just gets this like shit-eating grin on his face like, yeah, dude, you owe me this money. This is my money. Give it to me. And like, I'm like, well, you're not wrong. You should jump like, on that none before of us, he. Yeah, none of us signed anything. <laughs> I don't recall. So this isn't legally binding, but you aren't wrong. So I should talk to your mom and then we never talk about it. You should probably get on it before they get to the math grade that has interest. God. <laughs> Wait a sec, Dad. Dad, I learned compound interest. <laughs> Yeah, that's a thousand dollars. You go to a Catholic school; that's not allowed. It's just so in the Bible. Don't charge interest. Oh man! So aside, so you're still going to keep going with the improv? I'm still definitely kinda, the imp- yeah. Sorry, back to that. So definitely the improv, and that's going to be different this year. There was like there were so many different shows per month that we used to do last season. So you oversaturated it, or I think I think that's what they did. I, I say they because I'm not really involved in the organization of it, but there were too many things to do and as a result i think you sort of dilute the audience a little bit because the audience doesn't want to come on every single friday for yeah. improv i mean but if you do like one concentrated deadly show a month you're probably gonna get a bigger audience hopefully at least that's the that's what they're trying to do this time and also i mean we lost the venue the space that we had on 11th um for whatever reason um that we were playing out of so now we have to go to the Artesian, which is a great venue, but it's an expensive venue. Oh. So, yeah. So, I mean, the more shows, the more it costs. So it's like, why don't we just, you know, one and done per month and just make it really good and bring the audiences and be consistent that way. And then the other show is the Be Rude, which is a Brood Awakening on Dudney. Um, that's sketch comedy and stand up. And I'm definitely going to try my best to keep up. You have to send me well. a link for that one so I can. Sure. And they're always, yeah, they're always things where um, you can buy, you buy the tickets online or at the door and stuff. Cause yeah, it's worth, much, worth coming out to. Yeah. Ever since you had left and kind of left that tidbit with me to, on your way out, I've mentioned it more than once to Nathan. Yeah. And, um, well, yeah, the more people we can get out because it's like, well, Brood Awakening is interesting because we get a real varied audience there. A lot of it is like people that are sort of, kind of in the orbit of the improv world or friends of friends of the the other players. Sometimes they're just people that came in off the street. Hey, what's going on here? Oh, cool. Like we get this, these batches of old ladies that show up sometimes. <laughs> I should say old ladies. They're like, you know, middle-aged ladies. Um, and we don't know why, like what their connection is to anybody there. Um, but it's a real mix of ages and backgrounds, which is pretty cool. Whereas the improv shows tends to be a little more I don't know what the word is, but it's uh, people who are in the know, people that are already involved or were involved with improv and just want to, you know, they don't do it anymore, but they want to come up and watch or support the group. It's a specific niche. It's just, exactly. But I would like to see it a, a more wider audience. Um, and I and I like that they're still here, at Hitchhikers, and that's still going strong. Um, I just hope that we can start bringing up bigger audiences. And part of that's just, you know, word of mouth and sharing it. Yeah. And, um, and I think the fact that there is a variety of performers, like I'm not the only one who's, you know, old enough to be someone's dad in that group. There's a few people that are about my age and a few that are older. And um, 
you know, hopefully we can keep that up and, and because that, because that's that's more interesting to the audience too. If there's a variety of players on there, it's not all a bunch of 23 year olds acting goofy, you know, before their big acting break. It's like, you know, it's their it's the audience's peers and yeah. you know, and um, I, I think and 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 also and I'm hoping we like I think there's a lot of new blood this season, and I'm hoping that it can be a little bit more diverse. Improv is one of those things where it's like something you would find in that book, you know, or that blog. Uh, things white people do, or things white people like, whatever it is, because it is yeah. very, it's very white. Really, I generally speaking, yeah, hmm. predominantly so. In terms of the audience and in the players, I mean, we certainly have people of color in in it, but we want it more diverse, and certainly diverse uh, abilities, physical abilities, and also, um, you know, like. Uh, uh, I hope we can appeal more to the, you know, queer community as well. Because uh, some people look at improv. I don't know about hitchhikers specifically, but improv, improv in general, that it's a bit of, it's a bit broy. Really, you know, it's sort of like, you know, like theater nerd guy broy, not hmm. like, not like you know, sports douche bro. <laughs> but <laughs> but sort of like you know, a, t- a particular type of you know, dramaturge guy, huh. you know. I never would have got that but, vibe. Yeah, well, some I people, felt I'm, not, I'm ex- not saying that, it, that that's what it is. No. But I'm saying that's perceived by some. Hmm. And uh, we kind of hope that we're, you know, in, outwardly inclusive. Because would I think it, that benefits us all in the end. Would an openly, like, way too young group maybe scare off people that are older? It could, it could be that. Because of generational yeah, divide? They, could, they might feel like, they, well, I'm probably not going to get the comedy. You know, it's probably not going to be. Or they think maybe it's not going to be clever enough. Or you know, highbrow enough, um, which is not the case. Like everything, everything is not what it seems. Like you know, if you're if you're if your prejudice is that young kids aren't going to be clever or interesting, you'll be very surprised. If your assumption is that middle-aged people are going to be more clever and interesting, you're going to be surprised because sometimes you know we're not. Like sometimes I go up on stage and I'm only incapable of just like yelling. <laughs> like I just come in. I don't know what to do, so I just come in big and strong and loud. And that get exactly, and that gets a little bit old. So I'm hoping to vary that up a bit this year. I have no fear coming in with a big character, and committing to that character. Hmm. But I would like to get a little bit better at um, helping tell a story, more so than drop than the get off the lawn guy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It gets a little old. That's right on. Um, and it's funny because I think the comedy had fallen out of my head, and then um, I went and saw Joe McHale. Oh, did you? When he was in How town. How was he? Um, the sheer, what felt like lack of effort that he put into it. Oh, really? And Was he lack- phoning it in? What? He was phoning it in? 100%. Really? Well, it started, he was two and a half hours late. Maybe he's pissed that he has to tour again. Maybe. I don't know. Doesn't don't take sh- it on Doesn't on have us. a show. In- well, like, yeah. And I went with a bunch of work friends. It wasn't cheap. He's 80 bucks to see. Jesus. But a bunch of us from work went. Person dropped out, so I even brought a friend with me. I'm like, hey, come. So I swallowed two tickets. Um, but his flight was late, so I don't know if that impacted his mood. It could have. And he probably thinks, like, where the fuck am I? Yeah. Is that too? But I don't know. I don't... To me, he's professional enough, like, you up hope. there, mm-hmm. that he's got Netflix specials. He's the community guy. Like, I think he's big enough that he should come out and be professional and, like put it out there right but i've never 
I can't think of the last big name comedian that I've seen. So I don't have a gauge. But the warm up guy was a guy from PA and he murdered the room. Really? Because he was pure Saskatchewan comedy. All about like getting drunk, driving and throwing the empty cans at road Mm -hmm, signs mm -hmm. and like things you do when you're drunk in Saskatchewan and just like. Yeah, I mean, that plays to the audience here. But only here, you know. So he 100% was. But he could go to BC and bomb. Mm-hmm. Because, well, that's an old Brett Butt routine, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, was that joke? He's like, uh, you know, there's a there's there's a particular type of fear that you only fear that you only feel when you're three quarters of the way into a joke, um, and the punchline is toque, and you're in L.A. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, performing like, in L.A. as opposed to performing, you know, in Kitchener or something like that. Yeah, it's the so same the, thing. Yeah. So the PA guy, I told that really well. Yeah, the PA guy, his job was pretty. I think it was. He was probably meant to be a certain however many minute opener. Yeah. And so they let us in two and a half hours late, I think. It was supposed oh to be seven. God. The starter started at 930. And I think he was told, you talk until Joel McHale gets in the building. Probably. That's probably what it was. And and Joel McHale doesn't want to fuck around. He's like, God damn it, I want to get to sleep. So I'm going to come out here when I'm ready and I'm just going to yep. shit this stuff out. And so the PA guy. You never know where he's coming from. Yeah, the PA guy was amazing. You could see him like looking over, and then he's like, and Joe McHale's here. And he like hands off the mic. And it felt like McHale was checking his watch so that he would get probably what he's contracted to. To make sure he does the time. So if he's, say it was for 60 minutes, he kept checking his watch. That annoys me. Oh yeah, you can't be you can't be looking. Um, at I mean, if you need to keep track of your time because it helps you know where you're at in terms of your material, that's one thing. But you need to have something off stage that you can look towards. That people was can't it his watch see. or his phone? He some he kept checking. Well, something that was yeah. Well, maybe yeah. I you don't know. Are, but and he didn't hide the fact that he was like he's like oh look at the time and it's like has he always been I don't know he he was on Marin's podcast a long time ago and I don't remember if he talked about ever being a stand up, but I guess maybe he started as a stand up. You could tell. He probably on the flight or something Googled Regina. Mm-hmm. Um, he made light of the name because that's it's what easy. they do. But he he told it in a way that he knew the Rolling Stones concert story about like, oh yeah, because yeah, there yeah. was stuff that made fun of it when the Stones came. Right, you could tell that he read outdated kind of like this is but what this was, city's known for. If he was in touch with people though. Like other people in his community, he might know better because a couple of years ago, well, the second last time that Jerry Seinfeld was in town, he flat out came out. He said and he, when he first came out, he flat out refused to do a Regina joke. He says, like, I'm sure you guys have heard this enough. And that was kind of his joke. Like, yeah. you probably get it. But he, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he refused <laughs> to do it. And, 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 and people applauded that because he, he could kind of tell that we were probably sick of hearing that. And then last year, I went and saw Bill Burr at the Connexus Center. And I love Bill Burr. And I had no idea. Like, I figured he would go straight to it. And he's like, I'm not going to do it either. You know what I mean? Like, you know, in Saskatoon, they wanted, you know, they made fun of it. But I won't do it. And blah, blah, blah. And, and it's like, I th- would you would think Joel McHale might, I'm not saying he knows Jerry Seinfeld and Bill Burr, but at least be, there must be some word of mouth amongst people that tour to just like, hey, if you're ever up in this part, part of the world, don't, you know. Yeah, maybe avoid and, the hacky, you know, Regina. And his flights were all messed jokes. up, so he was already tweeting before he went on. I, I think it was before he went on. 
he's like, I don't know how I'm getting a Regina. I need a way out of here. Who's an amateur pilot? I'll pay for gas. Like, it was just the weirdest scenario. Oh, like, he really thought he was just being dropped into, like, the yeah. middle of nowhere. Yeah. And so... Oh, well, that's his level of ignorance, I guess, but... Um, he was... He made no apologies for who he is, which is fine, but he is very similar to the Jeff Winger character from Community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he pretty much admits that's who he is. So he admits he's this, like, brash, douchey guy. And so he came out, kind of told his, like, oh, I know geographically, I know where you are, I know a couple tidbits about here for the cheap applause. And then he just started telling family stories that he, I think he felt were humorous. But it didn't, the crowd didn't really... if it was well, I mean, funny. we're not the greatest crowds either here. I mean, like, as you said, they, they they really took to the warm-up guy. Yeah. So that shows you the level of humor that we want to... And even the warm-up... audiences want to laugh at. Yeah. Know? And even the warm-up guy said something that I don't know. Like, he goes, I know that half of you are in here just because you're gold people, gold memberships or whatever. So you get into all shows for free. Yeah, so what else are you going to do on a Saturday night? Right. And he knew that. So maybe Mikhail didn't. Because he wasn't even there when well, the guy delivered know, this yeah, line. Why would he know that? Yeah, right. So this is good point. The one guy's like, "This is a casino. I know half of you are just here because this is what you do when a show rolls in. You get it for yep. free." Um, but at least, yeah, like I said, he nailed it because he talked about Saskatchewan and Regina. He made light of what our life is like here, and then yeah, like but Mikhail's talking about oh my vacation in Florida with the family, and it was just like that's interesting because do you remember? When PJ Mellons was around? I actually was just talking about that too. <laughs> no way. So PJ Mellons back in like 93, 94 used to, it was basically the local Yuck Yucks. I went to so one. So Yuck Yucks comedians would come through. And I remember seeing a guy once, uh, and I guess he was the headliner of that night. Because they would do, I think they would do three. They would have an opener, a middle, and a, and a headliner. And this guy was the headliner. And uh, he was so wrong for the crowd. Like, all he was doing was talk. Like, he may have been, if you saw him on, say, like, Caroline's Comedy Hour or whatever was on TV at the time, um, you know, you know the, the the improv. What was the guy with the with the monocle? Remember that guy? He was like, was like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We got a great show for you tonight. Um, if he was on one of those shows, he probably would have killed. And you would have thought he was funny because the weird thing is when you live in Saskatchewan and you're watching, say, The Tonight Show or Letterman or you're watching a comedy special and you know it's a bunch of guys in L.A. doing their thing, you can you you accept the context of where they're coming from mm-hmm. and then you laugh at it. But when they come here and do it, it's different. And this one guy who was the headliner this one night, he just went on. He did about 10 or 15 minutes about just being high on coke and looking for coke in LA and not a single person in Yuck Yucks and PJ Mellons in Regina could relate to that and it was just silence like it was just tumbleweeds you know maybe crickets you could hear the traffic you know on Kramer Boulevard or whatever that street was outside and it's like you know you might have been funny if we were watching this on TV but you're here you're clearly not connecting to us you're telling the same story you're gonna do you know in Chicago or LA or whatever and you're not like I don't know how you would fit drug use story to Saskatchewan but maybe you could like I don't know twist it to make it sound like you're looking for coke in Saskatoon and then you can like throw in all of the 
assumptions that you make about Saskatchewan into it as though it really happened and then we could poke fun at ourselves and laugh but he was literally talking about street names and locations and neighborhoods in LA that very few people in that group would have got and it was just it was brutal he got mad by the end he was bitching at people and yelling he was probably high on coke himself at the time but or just pissed off that he couldn't find any coke and he was having (laughs) DTs 90s Regina no but context Um, is everything like I mean it should be like a, a routine should work anywhere you know, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily have to. And I'm sure his routine even would have been better in the States. Because well, when he got it more. Yeah. When he's talking about these touristy places or like family vacations, he's like this place in Montana or this place in Nebraska. We're all like, should yeah. I do I need to Google this to get a visual yeah. to know oh, what you're talking about? I get what you mean now. At yeah. least when he started talking about like Florida and like gators and like going to see the swamp, like we've all watched whatever the second or third CSI was or any Florida TV show. Gotcha. We, see, we can relate. We like, know what he means by that. Yeah. But the states that we, like, I don't know what the fuck's in Illinois, right? So when you talk about your family going there, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so he talked about a bunch of family stuff and then he talked about how his son was a douchebag like him and how it was funny, how he dealt with people. And it's like, okay, that's... So the local guy nailed it. And then it's funny how that happens. The big name Rush guy came out and just, and he seemed unapologetic. He didn't do a meet, like he didn't meet because I've been to concerts and different things there where the artist comes out after. Yeah, I I saw Harry Anderson here before he died. Oh, nice. And he was, I mean, he wasn't super strong. He was definitely, you could tell he was tired and feeling his age a bit, but he. he went out in the crowd afterwards and was getting photos taken and doing autographs and stuff like that. And I was so mad. I had I I thought that I had sold the book in a garage sale years ago, but I, I had a um, it was a book of card tricks that he published in the eighties. Weird, because that's, that's what he does. He was like a card sharp. Yeah. He did, he would do like three card Monty and all these other like weird games, con man games and stuff. And I bought his book, and I thought I'd gotten rid of it years ago. And like about maybe six months after I was at his show. I was going through some boxes at my parents' place and I found the book. I'm like, oh my God, I would love to have taken this and got him to sign it. And then he died shortly thereafter. Mm. It's so tragic. I would say tragic, but tragic for me. Yeah. I could have had an autographed copy. Of. But yeah, like you think even after something like that, you've put all these people out and don't get me wrong. Every time we went to check if he was there yet mm. to open the doors, they handed us vouchers to go gamble. It was like here's oh of course they don't want you to leave here's you know. 20 more dollars go spend that and 100 of your own money while you wait for the comedian to roll in right and so i don't know it just sounds like it was like it wasn't ideal circumstances i mean a, a delayed flight really can fuck you up you know yeah and the fact that on social media which we all can see we could see that he was in a rush to get the fuck out of he was Dodge, already, you right? already got a sense of what his vibe was like yeah, yeah like Spend 40 minutes after, and for the people that stuck around, say hi to them. Maybe give them a picture, right? Mm-hmm. But no. So, like, when was it? Oh, my God. Seven years ago? I went with the ex and with Jordan Bell to go see Men Without Hats when they oh, were yeah. here. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he stuck around after. Any photo, any comment, any... Like, I have stuff signed by him. And he was great. And then even after the show, the guy added me on Facebook. Different, Which is totally different thing, yeah. It just comes down to like, what at what point are they at in their lives or their career where they 
have a certain appreciation for what they're doing. And just to get the connection yeah, with the fans. Exactly. If you feel like you don't want to be there, that you're going to exude that, you know, completely. But then it's also part of what I thought was a character that he was really good at playing, but that it's just really just and he was natural state. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> who he is. So fine, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I still have community to watch and that's my favorite version of him, which is actually him, I guess. So it's the real deal. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it gets disappointing when you find, Oh, they're just playing themselves. You know? But it's weird because that disappointment got me thinking about it again, because I was like, Here's this guy that has everyone probably had huge standards for him. Like this is what we're gonna we're gonna laugh our ass off tonight, and it just fell flat. And so it kind of reinvigorated my like because I'd kind of talked myself out of it. Like you wouldn't be funny. You don't whatever about it. Like make it the last on your list of things to do. And after seeing him and just seeing that pros either a have bad nights or it doesn't yeah. always work everywhere. I kind of got re-interested in attempting it myself. and Oh, yeah. Everyone can have a bad night. Yeah. It's just one of those things where you, you just you keep... If, if it means a lot to you for you to do it, or even if you have to do it, the more you do it, you know, probably the more opportunity to succeed, but, you know, you, you still have to get some bad nights out of the way, and unfortunately, some people are going to be the audience on those bad nights. Yeah. You know? And my bad night in wrestling was a broken leg, so... That doesn't get any more bad than that. <laughs> so let's move on to just But I can talking. relate to that. It with, even with improv, I mean, you, I've had nights where you go in there and you think... Like, you go in there with the best mind state, mental state, and you're like, okay, I'm ready to have fun. I'm going to, you know, focus. I'm going to listen. I'm going to just... I'm not going to come out there with, like, you know, preconceived character or whatever. I'm just going to listen and, and take it in and, and roll with it. And then suddenly... Like you just can't find your way into a scene. Like I had one night where I think I jumped into maybe two scenes maximum and I contributed nothing, you know, because you have those nights where it's like, that's not where I thought tonight was going to go. And then you have other nights where you just you're nervous and you don't want to be there and you're tired, or you're hungry or, you know, whatever. You got fighting a cold and then you kill it for some reason hmm. and you don't know why. And the audience is really receptive to what you're doing. And it's not like you are consciously trying to do something else. You know, no, it's just, it's like, a, it's so hit and miss, which is part of the fun with improv. It's one of the reasons my wife hates it because um, she finds it really cringeworthy to watch because, you know, you kind of got to take the good with the bad and the bad yeah. with improv can be pretty bad, you know, but the good, sometimes you get those magic moments where you're like, oh my God, I'm glad I saw that. And sports yeah. is like that too. And they call sure. it the zone, right? Like if everyone could get into this perfect developmental zone, then everyone would be Michael Jordan or everyone exactly. would be... If it was as easy enough of just deciding to do it well, right. then everybody would be doing it. Yeah. Everyone would be George Carlin or like... Totally. Whatever... All you have p- to do is will it. Right. And it's never that simple. And it's not the same. And it's... Looking back at when I played sports all the time, I can name three times where I felt I was in this like indestructible zone. Like no matter what I did, the ball went in the net. Um, people where I wanted to be when I passed, like it just was perfect. And you go back the next day and you stretch the same way and you like talk to the same people and you warm up and you do the same routine and then yep. you just shit the bed, right? And it's kind of neat when you describe like, it just it comes out of nowhere. It's this little touch of perfection, and you just kind of have this nice time of it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, I, I hate to use the word magic, but it's kind of magic. Like that, mm-hmm. you just don't know what it's gonna, you know, how it's gonna. There's no, you can't write down the reasons why all these things happened. 
right. really well. It just kind of did, you know, and it's one of those things that it's the same with like, you know, relationships. You don't know what's going to like, you know, make a friendship hit it off or a romance hit it off. It's like, you know, you can try your best and it, it's not necessarily going to go the way you want. You just sort of let something happen. Just be open to it. And, and that's what I found with improv. That's cool. No, I'm definitely going to grab Nathan because we've kept talking about getting out, checking it out. <laughs> Uh, I need to check yeah. it out just personally to see if it's well also speaking personally like I I've always I've been remiss from sharing it out too openly on Facebook because I didn't want too many people that I knew coming, coming to, huh. um, to like the improv the sketch comedy and the stand-up because I just was like what if I you know it's, it's, it's that old fear like what if I really sucked and people yeah. are like why are you doing this you know like should you oh really you're sticking with that you're still okay thought maybe you got that out of your system but now it's like you know a couple years in of doing it it's like no i'm 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 not saying i'm confident but i'm i feel good enough about it that this is something i like to do and people can just come and hopefully you know contribute and support the community and and have hopefully have fun but also not be afraid that if you know that they may not have fun and why the hell not like and who cares and what you said i was very shy about sharing my podcast for the longest time and then finally I would creep one out there. Yeah. And then finally I'm like, I don't care. Share, share, share. It takes a couple of people to share it and that's the slippery slope with uh, Yeah, and I've made some friends of friends. Mm -hmm. Um, I finally have a bunch of followers that I don't even know who they are so I've some thank you um (laughs) (laughs) people into that they want to listen when I talk and it's like we were talking before I think I hit record. I've been blessed with some pretty Have you hit record yet, by the way? Hmm? Have you hit record yet, by the way? Are we starting? Shh. <laughs> I would be pissed. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, I've been blessed with some pretty interesting friends. Um, I psyched myself out where I was like, I need all people of interest, like, that people will be like, oh, I want to hear for this reason. And in the end, the ones I'm enjoying the most are when I bring, like, you, Nathan, my friends in, and just have a Good the conversation, catch, yeah. Yeah, a good catch up about relevant things. Like, well, that's awesome. I've had the legit interest in just seeing the improv and delving into whether I want to make the comedy thing happen sooner than later. Well, I, yeah, I would totally do it if I were you. And uh, and you have, there's a lot of opportunities here now. There's um, open mic at the Cure every Monday night, and there's the Pass the Hat, which I think is at, ex- at the Exchange. And that's okay. once a month. Shannon's has an open mic once a month. Shannon's Pub, and there may be one. There may be a fourth. Well, there's uh, uh, Be Rude. Okay, is the fourth, uh, and that's once that will be once a month again, starting in the fall. So you got lots of opportunities to try things out. And I totally, I say, do it. Yeah, and I'll let you know when the improv is happening. You can come out and watch that. But also, on the other hand, I wouldn't mind doing it where no one ever knows about it and it just happened. Then there's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah what we just talked about yeah. <laughs> so um because all my wrestlings on youtube no one will ever see them i'm never going to divulge the links that's just was my little science i'll get them from you myself. and i'll share them out uh no <laughs> uh, it's not my channel and i'm not saying <laughs> <laughs> my youtube channel however is mac daddy films please check it out we haven't uploaded anything in a year and my son keeps kicking my ass about it the one with all the kids in the lasers was amazing. That's the one. Yeah, yeah so go that's to, our high water mark, and we haven't been able if to. If I had um, a dad who was that good at production and making things look like a Hollywood production, the problem is that it's really hard to make that happen. 
Like, well, I assume it's not easy. It's not like it's like you want every video to be to have that kind of production value. And like that took me like weeks of my spare time <laughs> to get that uploaded, and I don't want to do it again. And when does a hobby become a job? And when does a hobby become a job? Exactly. But we still have him. My, my son and I still bounce off tons of ideas that we want to do and little inventions we want to make, like uh, um, on on the channel, like you know, come up with a silly invention and see if we can make it, and you know, nice. So that that should hopefully this fall be resurrected, if that's the right word. Yeah, I hope the fuel's still there for their, for Xander when he's thirteen. Yeah. Like, because he has ideas, but he it blocks him from a lot of stuff because it's you're not old enough, right? Yeah. Even in what is it, Roblox, the one game he plays online, mm-hmm. you need to be 13 to be a creator that makes money off of like the things you build in game, right? So it seems like what's so great about 13? I didn't know anything. I about don't. 13. It must be some. That's where the internet legal line is for something. Yeah. I don't know. No. Not like you're an adult, <clears> but. You're old enough to show your face. I was 13 in 1987. There was no, there was no internet yeah. for me to be a part of. Oh my god! <laughs> Perfect. Thanks awesome, for coming man. out. No, I always appreciate it. Nathan and I will stalk you. Uh oh. <laughs> you just admitted to that. Thanks for having me again. Right on. <laughs>